And now, here's your resource queen, Alex Litwack. Welcome. With me today is one of my all-time favorite guests to have an interview with. It is Deb McClure-Smith, old friend, also the co-author of a book that we did together way back in 2009 called I Feel Good, 10 Easy Steps to Better Health. Deb has worked for almost 40 years at the grooviest health food store in Indianapolis called the Good Earth. She has a passion for learning all about health and wellness, about supplements, about lifestyle, and has helped hundreds and thousands of people feel better, feel good about themselves and their own personal journey to health and wellness. Welcome, Deb. Good to see you, Alex. It's nice to see you. All right, so we have a big topic to talk about. We do. And the fun thing, as you said when you were introducing me, is that you never stop learning in this industry because they're always coming up with new knowledge, new ways to look at things, new understandings. So even since we wrote our book in 2009, which I think is still a great foundational book, We've learned a lot more, so we're going to dive into some good stuff today. We are, and our diving in is going to be about the very diets that are out there for people to choose. Some people don't actually make a conscious choice about their no, diet. No, they don't. Their diet is what drive through do I want to go to Exactly, today? exactly. That's the drive through diet, we'll yes. call it. We're going to talk about other diets where people make a conscious choice to alter the way that they eat because they've either read something or they've got a friend who's doing it or many times people want to lose weight. Some of these diets have great strengths and several weaknesses. Yes. So... There is no one diet that works for all people. No, and there's no one diet that works for you for your whole life. I think we have to change our diet and our food choices as we go through different life phases, um, especially as you get older. You really need to make sure you're getting good sources of protein and your good fats. You just have to. So, so you're right. You have to think about your food choices, your diet focus, and tailor it to what your body is telling you. I think that's hard for people to hear that they have to change when they've been eating a certain way for the past, let's say, 40, 50 years. Right. And, you know, the other thing, too, which I have come to understand and I think is such a foundational piece is that you have to know your genetic background, which is something that you can get done by taking a genetic test. And there was a couple of companies that I really like a lot that I would recommend. Uh, probably my top one that I would say would be Stratagene, and that is Dr. Ben Lynch, who teaches at Bastier, and his whole passion and focus is genetics and how important they uh, determine our lifestyle, our diet, our health, everything. So anyway, 
let's just start out right here. The keto diet. The keto diet is one that I don't think a lot of people can do successfully because a keto diet is based on eating less than 20 grams of carbohydrates a day. That may sound like, oh, that's not that hard, but truly when you start really focusing in on carbohydrates and looking at um, your nutrition panels on the side of the foods you're eating, you can get to 20 grams of carbohydrates with a salad. So eating 20 grams of carbs is very hard. Uh, The rest of your calorie intake on a keto diet is based on a a moderate amount of protein, and its main focus for calories is good fats. Why do you want to go on a keto diet? To me, a keto diet, some of its strongest reasons for doing a keto diet is if you have cancer. That is where, and if you have autoimmune issues or some major health issues, that's where the keto diet can really shine. Because um, in the case of having cancer, sugars feed cancer tumor growth. Studies have shown that. And so by taking all the sugars, all the excess carbohydrates out of your diet, you tend to, the the thought is you starve those cancer cells. They can't replicate and multiply as easily. So that is the main place um, where I've seen a keto diet be very beneficial. People who have major um, blood sugar, insulin resistance, problems like that, especially in their genetic history, they could get some benefits from the keto diet also because once again, they're moving all the, removing all the excess sugars and they're giving their body, they're teaching their body to use protein and fat as the main fuel so- source as opposed to glucose. And what about neurological issues? That, that's right. That's a really good point, Alex. I forgot that. But yes, for dementia, because the good fats, coconut oil, especially has been studied for helping people who have um, the beginnings of Alzheimer's or dementia. Yes. I think it would be extremely difficult to limit my carbs to 20 grams a day. It is. I mean, you know, I'm a huge fan of low carb, high protein, but even for me, keeping under 160 to 100 grams is kind of my target range. That can be really tough. But um, the, the other thing, too, that people need to know with the keto diet, genetically, some people can't do it because if you cannot properly digest fats, you can't do the keto diet. And I see so many people nowadays who have gallbladder issues or who have had their gallbladder removed. If you have your gallbladder taken out or you have problems with your gallbladder, you have got to take enzymes to support your fat digestion. And so many people don't because their doctors don't tell them. Yeah, I mean, if you're missing a gallbladder, you're missing out on an essential part of the whole digestive process. Right, and the detoxification process too, because that's your bile storehouse. But um, with the keto diet, I would say, if I was ever going to choose to go that direction myself, they have modified keto diets, which you can do, and that tends to work better for women. A lot of women cannot do a strict keto diet, and what that means is you're not eating a really low carb level, like 20 grams, you can bump it up to around that 40 to 60 grams a day, and it gets a little easier. I mean, a carrot has carbs. Yes, it does. Oh, yeah. I mean, truly, just pure protein and fat don't have carbs, but any of your vegetables, grains are really high carb, fruits off the chart. So, yeah, that's one thing. And 
I think harking back to your earlier statement that staying on one diet throughout your life is not necessarily the way to go. So maybe if you're doing keto, you're just doing it for a limited time period. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Like when you're um, going through treatment or if you have major autoimmune issues kicking up or dementia, you're really trying to address that. Yes, I agree. It could be just a focused diet for a short period of time. All right. Another really popular diet these days is paleo. Yes. Paleo is good, and if I had to classify what I do, I would say I do a modified paleo diet. So with the paleo diet, basically you are eating the diet that the people in the Paleolithic times ate, which meant it was mostly based on vegetables, good quality proteins, good fats, limited fruits, um, good quality starches, and no grains. No beans, and then you also would avoid dairy, gluten, processed foods, and sugars. Let's back up on a couple of those. Grains were not introduced into the human diet till 10,000 years ago. Correct. So I can understand not eating grains. Yes. I'm, a, I'm surprised about dairy. The dairy, I think, probably because when they, in the Paleolithic times, they were more hunters and gatherers, so they couldn't have herds. And so there weren't, they weren't, you know, maybe they had goats or something, but they weren't like taking cows along with them. So they didn't eat the dairy that they did when they started settling and becoming agrarian. And the same with beans. Yes, correct. Yeah. Yeah. And beans take a long time to cook. They were probably on the move a lot more and they had to eat what was there and available. And on the carb front, because you are allowed to eat fruit and it's heavy into vegetables, Yes. Does, is there some mandate about the number of grams of carbs you're allowed to have in a day? No, but you're going to pick good quality carbs and you're not going to pick really starchy things like white potatoes. They weren't eating bananas or pineapple or mangoes or you know probably even oranges, things like that that were really high sugar fruits. When they were eating fruits, my understanding is it was more berries. Because those they could pick off the bushes. They were growing in the, um, in the wild, so they would eat them that way. They weren't, once again, cultivating fruit trees or um, settled in one place long enough to raise uh, trees that would have the apples and the oranges and the peaches and things like that. One of the things you mentioned earlier was about genetics, and that reminded me about blood types. Yes, yeah, that's a big, that's one of those um, kind of edgy dietary focuses, but I do find some benefit from the blood types. And the basic, it was Peter Diadamo who put forth that premise or how to choose your foods. So it's based on the four different blood types, A, O, B, and AB. And each of those blood types congregated in a certain area of the world. So that is how that 
focus, the dietary focus was um, created when those people were eating and, and living, they all found different foods in those areas. So like I would say, I'm a type O. And O's are more the classic, they need the animal protein. And O's live more in colder climates. They're found more in Scotland and England and um, Ireland and, you know, the northern climates where it was cold. And they had to eat heavier foods to sustain their body temperature and their body weight during the cold winter months. A's, I believe those grew up more in the warmer climates. And the A is the classic vegetarian. They have no trouble being a vegetarian, um, so they can get by eating the beans and the grains and the good proteins that come with a vegetarian diet. A, B, and B, I don't know quite as much about because they aren't your more common blood types, I should say. And um, they, their diets are lean more, less protein, more good carbs, uh, good fats. Then the question is for me, if you get the genetic testing and you know your blood type, there are certain recommendations that are being made. If you don't do those things, what's, what happens? Well, a lot of things can happen if you say, okay, I really w wanna be a vegan. And like me, so me being a type O, years ago I tried being a vegan and because everybody said it was such a good diet, it's the way that you're the healthiest, eating plant-based. But the issues that I found for myself I was hungry all the time. I had horrible blood sugar crashes. I was very hypoglycemic. Um, I would get moody. I couldn't get satisfied when I would eat. And once I started adding in some good animal proteins, some good quality chicken, seafood, I eat limited amounts of red meat, not a lot. But once I started adding those in, it was like my life changed. So I would say if you are eating a diet that is not good for your genetics or your blood type, it will uh, cause diseases, it will cause imbalances in your body, um, and you're not going to be your healthiest. You know, it's just really one of the hardest things for me is when people come in and they're so set on following a specific dietary protocol but it's not good for them. And they won't do it even though they know it's causing them health issues. They still say, no, I wanna stick with this diet. I'm not gonna change. I was listening to a doctor talk recently and she was saying by changing your diet to the right diet, you can get 85% better. That's huge. That's profound. It is profound. And this is a doctor who has done long-time work with women especially. Uh, I believe she was a gynecologist, but that's what she said. She said, once you get people on the right diet, it's astounding the difference it will make. And I think that also means that you have to pay attention. Yes, you do. You have to pay attention to how you feel on a day-to-day -day basis. Did your nose start running after right. you ate that food? Yes. Did you develop a rash? Did you suddenly get a little bit of a headache or did you get cranky? Yeah. And, and when you pay attention, you can answer all those you questions. You really can. Yes, and for me, I will tell you one of the biggest um, changes that I noticed immediately for myself was um, when I finally gave up dairy.
And that was hard for me because with dairy, it was like um, I would do Greek yogurt because it's such a good source of protein. And um, I would eat the plain Greek yogurt and I would use organic half and half and organic Greek yogurt. But anyway, so those were the only dairy I was eating. And, but I ate all the time. It wasn't a bad ache, but I just was achy. I always felt like, you know, I wanted to um, not move a lot, or once I started moving, I felt better, but I, my body ached. So that said, finally, I said, okay, I'm going to give up dairy for a month, because usually when you give up a food for a month, that's when you'll notice the changes. It's 21 days for it to clear your system. So I gave up dairy for a month. I was astounded that I didn't ache all the time. And when your body is inflamed, when you're eating foods or using um, chemicals or um, things, you're around things that irritate your body, you become inflamed. Inflammation causes your body to store fluid um, and it holds excess weight. When I stopped eating dairy, it was amazing how much excess fluid and achiness and inflammation my body let go of just by that one simple change. Yes. Again, if you're willing to do it, if you're willing to give a shift right. in the way you eat a chance, the possibilities are endless. They are. And, and the other thing, too, that I stress with people when they come in and they're asking me questions about their diet or issues that are going on, you only want to give up one thing at a time. Because if you give up six different foods like eggs, dairy, gluten, um, beans, and you stop eating all of those at once, you're not going to know which one was bothering you. Whereas if you choose one like I did dairy and I stopped eating it for a month, then if I reintroduced it after that month, I would notice an instant difference. So that's the best way also to go about um, changing your diet. There is another thing, too, which I really didn't dive into, but there's the Whole30, which is sort of a um, paleo-based diet because you're giving up a lot of the common allergens for 30 days. That's why they call it the Whole30. And you're cooking everything from scratch. You're not eating packaged or processed foods. So uh, by on that Whole30, you are giving up everything all at once, but then you're introducing one thing at a time back into your diet and seeing what differences you notice. And a lot of people notice profound differences with the Whole30. When you eat the same things on a daily and a weekly and a monthly basis, it's very hard to discern. Yes, it is. What might be causing you some challenges yep. or difficulties in some way. So. There's some benefit to taking everything out and very slowly reintroducing. Yes, yes. And then the other thing, too, um, a little side piece to the paleo diet is there is a diet called the AIP, the autoimmune paleo diet. That is a tremendous diet to follow if you have autoimmune issues, if you have thyroid issues. Um, Dr. Amy Myers, um, a lot of times she is uh, online. You can look up her information. She is huge into thyroid issues because she had Graves' disease and then it flipped into hypothyroidism. And she always recommends the autoimmune paleo diet for her patients and she gets tremendous results with that. All right, let's talk about being a vegan. Okay, so vegan is another one in my uh, years of seeing what I've done, 
and what I see other people do can be a hard diet to do. And the vegan diet, however, though, is one of the most popular diets that people always want to become a vegan. Yes. And it's just because their friend did it and their life changed or they read about it and it's supposed to be the healthiest diet. But it's not the healthiest diet if it's not right for you. But that said, if you want to go on a vegan diet, basically, as you and I know, that means no animal products at all. No dairy, no eggs, no honey, um, and you're getting all your protein from plant-based sources. There are There is a lot of good from using plant-based sources. I'm not against that because there are some days when I eat a vegan diet and get my protein from tofu or tempeh or beans, but to do it 24-7, 365 days a year, you have to supplement to be a vegan, especially as we get older. Well, even as you're younger, I see a lot of parents that are raising their children as vegans. And if you're going to do that, you have to supplement your child's diet because you cannot get all the nutrients you need from a vegan diet. And the nutrients that you need to supplement with are? They would be B12, vitamin D, iron, omega-3s, iodine, calcium, zinc, vitamin K2, selenium, magnesium, and choline. There's quite a list. That is quite a list. And that's not something you can just do intermittently. This no. is daily. Yes. Yes, it is. And then the other thing, too, that you need to realize, uh, a lot of people say, well, omega-3s, I get my omega-3s from flax oil. Well, the omega-3s in flax oil are mainly the ALA form of omega-3s. That is not readily utilized by our bodies. So our bodies have to convert it into the usable form. So you have to take a higher amount of the ALA form of omega-3s to get the benefits. And the other piece you need to know is genetically. Some people can't convert the ALA well. If you're insulin resistant, you cannot revert, convert that ALA very well either. So you need to take these things into account when you are supplementing or choosing to go a vegan direction. And I would say many people choose to go the vegan route and they do feel better. Right. They lose some weight, which they're also trying to do generally, and they do feel better. The, the question is whether sustaining that kind of diet for years will be helpful or harmful. Right. And then the other piece, too, is, yes, a lot of people feel tremendous when they go on a vegan diet, but that's probably because they've gotten rid of a lot of the junk they're eating. <laughs> and the other thing, too, which you and I always point out, is to do a vegan, well, any diet, really. You can't eat junk food. You, you can't be a carbitarian, which is like a vegan or a vegetarian who says, okay, I'm going to stop eating all meat and then not look at what protein and good fats they're going to get. They just focus in on all the carbohydrates because there's a lot of junky foods you can get that are called vegan. Yes, there are. And they're just as processed. Right. And yeah. they're filled with all kinds of things that I'm not so sure we really want. Right. All right, we have a few minutes left. And 
you had wanted to talk about the blue zones. Yes. What are the blue zones? The blue zones was a study that they did of five different areas in the world where people had the longest lifespans. And um, they were looking at why did they have such a long lifespan. And it was due to diet and lifestyle. Both pieces were very important. So the five areas they looked at were Okinawa, Sardinia, Loma Linda in United States, that is the only place in the United States that had a long lifestyle. Uh, Icaria, which is in Greece, and Costa Rica. So those were your five places. The people live in well into their 90s. They're healthy, they're active. But in the blue zones, the main things that they found were common denominators. Diet was mainly plant-based. They did include some seafood, small amounts of um, good sources of poultry, eggs. They would eat a little bit of dairy, especially in areas where they had their own cows and goats. So um, the diet was mainly a plant-based diet. They ate good fats, um, especially olive oil, of course, in uh, the Mediterranean, the Greek and the um, Sardinian area. And then they also had great community. They, the older people lived with the younger people. They kept together. They didn't separate each other out and go into nursing homes when they got the age of 70. Everybody lived together, worked together. They were out in the fields working together. They gardened. They were outside doing things. They weren't on their computers. They weren't um, ordering food brought into them. They were out raising their own foods. So with the Blue Zones, it's a lot it's everything together. It's not just one piece of what was going on. What about fermented foods? Well, a very good point. Fermented foods are really important, too, and they found that in uh, all of the Blue Zone areas, they had some kind of fermented foods, especially in the... Um, Okinawa and in the Mediterranean areas, um, Greece and Sardinia, because they were eating the krauts, uh, they were eating the fermented yogurts, things like that, that fed their good gut bacteria. Also, the other piece, too, they did not eat the refined processed sugars. The main form of their sweets were a small amount of fruits. Yeah, there's no drive-in dining in, in the Blue Zones. No. Not at all. They were cooking, and they didn't have boxes on their shelves. They were cooking from scratch. Makes all the difference in the world. It really does. It, it does. I, I, I'm always fascinated when people tell me that they eat you know, what they think is a really healthy diet, and most of what they eat is coming in a package. Yes, it really is. I know. And when, you know, my favorite thing to ask customers when they come in and say, I'm having um, allergies or I don't have energy or, you know, those, I say, okay, tell me your typical diet. What do you eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? And people who think they have a really good diet, they're eating oatmeal for breakfast. Oatmeal is all carbohydrates. You have no good fat in there. You you really don't have any protein, you know? So it's like you need to realize that what you think is a good diet and what is a good diet might be two totally different things. Well, you have given us great food for thought, as they say. Thank you, Deb McClure-Smith, for giving us all this great information about different ways of eating, and you will be on the show for the next two weeks talking about two other fabulous nutrition subjects. Thank you, Deb. Good to see you. There are so many CBD stores from which to choose. 
CBD Jubilee sets itself apart from all the others with an excellent array of top-end hemp products and a knowledgeable staff that will work with you to get you feeling your best. Choose to take care of your body and mind in a foundational way by supplementing with CBD. Find out more great information about CBD at cbdjubilee.com. Today's show has been sponsored by CBD Jubilee, bringing you health and happiness every day. Thanks for tuning in.